Hey everyone, Christy McClellan here, and I want to invite you to a brand new event from Lifeway Women called Feast. At this event, you'll be invited to feast on God's Word by studying the Bible in its historical, cultural context. We're going to get to know the Bible in its world, in its native habitat, text, and context. You'll experience teaching, worship led by my 25-year friend, Laura Cooksey, and fellowship with other women around the world. Come and learn with me that the living God is better than we ever knew. Visit LifeWay.com slash Feast to learn more. This is the Mark Podcast from LifeWay Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Hello. We wanted to give a bit of a warning before today's episode. We will be talking with Ashley Chestnut about her new book, It's Not Just You, Freeing Women to Talk About Sexual Sin and Fight It Well. If you're with your kids, this might be an episode that you want to listen to with earbuds in, or you might want to save it for another time. This content contains some frank discussion about subjects that may be disturbing to some listeners. Discretion is advised. And welcome to the Mark Podcast. My name is Elizabeth Heinemann, and I am here with my co-host, Kelly King. Hey, Kelly. Hey. Another week, another podcast. It's so fun. I know. A little peek behind the curtain. We've actually recorded three podcasts today, (laughs) (laughs) and this is our last one, but we're so excited about this guest. Uh, We have both known Ashley for a while. Yeah, a while. Um, I think I met her at camp in... 2008. Oh, well, then you've known Ashley longer than me. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, she helped me be a financial director, which is really funny now because I don't do math. Um, Yeah. But they knew that about me and they still wanted to hire me as that job. So there you go. You're a good hire, Elizabeth. (laughs) Yeah. So welcome, Ashley. Yes. Glad to be here. Thanks. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry. Yeah, so camp is definitely a part of my story, um, but not currently what I do. I'm currently the young associate young adult minister at the church at Brick Hills in Birmingham, Alabama, and I've been on staff here about a little over 10 years, and um, I've done a couple of different things. Um, I've done college ministry here. I've done adult small groups and admin side of things, and done just singles ministry and now I'm young young adults which is singles young marrieds and and young couples um, and then I also oversee small group curriculum for our church yeah and just so our listeners know I mean the church of Brick Hills is not a little church mm-hmm. so your ministry is a very significant mi- ministry 
for sure. Yeah, we got quite a few uh, single adults at our church and young adults at our church. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I've known you since I came to Lifeway as a Lifeway trainer. And so you do a lot of our You Lead events and you teach actually on the subject that we're going to talk about today. And so you've got a new book. It's just, you know, it's come out. And so we want you to tell us all about the book. Yes. Um, so my book is called It's Not Just You, Freeing Women to Talk About Sexual Sin and Fight It Well. And it just released on August 3rd. So its book birthday was this week um, as we're recording. And it's really a book. It's what I wish I would have had when I was first starting out in ministry. It's what I wish I could have read as someone who was walking alongside young women. But it's also the book that I wish I I could have given out Mm -hmm. to the young women I was ministering to who were struggling with all forms of sexual sin. Yeah, and I think this is definitely not a topic we hear about a lot in women's ministry circles. So tell us a little bit more about what prompted you to write the book and why you think it's such a taboo topic, especially among women. And then this is a bonus and we can ask it again, but what surprised you most as you researched and studied to write this book? Definitely. Well, let me start with the taboo topic. Um, I think it's taboo in the church partially because when we've talked about sexual sin, we've largely talked about it with just men or, or only given like examples of male struggles. And so we haven't really done a great job of talking about Um, women who are struggling about this. And then even if you just bring it down on a family level, um, how comfortable are the families in your church um, with talking to their kids about sex? And do they feel comfortable doing that? Do they know what to say at age-appropriate levels? Or are your parents also dealing with shame um, from their own stories? Or maybe are they even dealing with abuse and have wrong teachings or, or maybe distorted experiences with sex. So I think there's all sorts of contributing reasons that can make it a taboo topic. But I think you had also asked, like, what prompted me to write the book? Yeah. And just as I was doing at the time college ministry, I just kept having young women, especially their junior year. I was leading a small group and had started freshman year with this group of girls, but their junior year they just continued to confess a variety of struggles Mm -hmm. related to Mm -hmm. sexual sin. And it took like that long of relationship building to where they even felt like they could share this with me, but also then with one another. And their struggles ranged from everything with masturbation to same-sex attraction to pornography to run-of-the-mill things that girl, that you do with your boyfriend. And so, mm-hmm. um, and fantasy, um, I mean, sexting, oral sex, we ran the gamut. And at that point in time, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to walk alongside them. And I was searching for resources for myself and mm-hmm. for them. We had a counselor on our staff at that time who was our member care pastor. And I would just sit in Tate's office and be like, I just had this conversation with a girl. I don't know if I handled this correctly. Like, here's what I said. Is this, did I do this okay? <laughs> and, and Tate, who's actually now um, 
I think he's associate dean at Southeastern Seminary with the counseling department. But he he was really the first one that said, hey, you know, you're not seeing a lot of resources in this area. Maybe you should think about writing it. So he's really the one that planted the idea in my head. Oh, that's really cool. Did, yeah. did you feel like, how was it, like, how did you do your research as far as, like, I know that you have personal experience with dealing with women who come to you, and and there's a lot of conversations, um, but that's not, I mean, you also had to do some pretty, like, data research as well, mm-hmm. too. Yes. So, as I was journeying and walking alongside women, and as it continued to not just be, oh, this is just one season of ministry that mm-hmm. the women in my life are struggling, this is like constant, <laughs> um, God actually led me to go back to school. And so I went back for a counseling, a biblical counseling certification from Southeastern Seminary in North Carolina. And so that provided me with really a foundation for biblical counseling. And then also, I... God just blessed me with resources locally, several counselors I connected to. Birmingham is really a a hub for the sex addiction recovery um, scene. It is. We have several counselors that are CSATs, certified sex addiction therapists, and that are believers. And so they're they're thinking about this on a clinical level, but also in light of Christ. And we have faith-based recovery ministries. And so God just was bringing all of these resources. So I, I was reading a broad spectrum of things, um, both secular as well as faith-based, and was just trying to wrap my head around how do I think about these issues from a biblical perspective, but also not discard secular resources and, and gifts that God has given us with recovery groups, with medicine, with therapies. Um, so it's been a long journey of a lot of resources from a lot of different avenues. Yeah, I um, I think that's so fascinating that, and it's definitely something that I think a lot of people are struggling with in secret, which is mm-hmm. true of a lot of our sins um, across the board true. that they are struggled with in secret. So it's so helpful to have something like this, especially um, for women, because I do think probably the more that we actually are authentic with each other and talking through, confessing our sins, like you said, it's definitely something that is needed. Um, and one of the things that you do is you serve, like Kelly said, as a trainer for our leadership events. And so you t- you've taught on this subject and you always have lots of women come up and ask questions after your sessions. So what are some of the common things that you're hearing from leaders on this subject? Yeah, Kelly always enjoys the questions. We always know which one are mine and from my sessions. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, Ashley will answer that question. <laughs> um, yeah, the questions, there's really a broad variety of them. I do usually have questions about resources. Mm-hmm. Um, there's often questions related to abuse and um, recognizing that abuse is part of my story and what do I do? Where do I go from here? How do I know who a safe person is to even Mm -hmm. talk to about my story? And so I've had a lot of questions about identifying safe people. Mm -hmm. Um, And that even goes with confession of sin because I I need to tell someone, but how do I know who is a safe person? And then I've had... A lot of questions are very nuanced. 
So everything from here's my divorce story and am I able to biblically get remarried mm-hmm. or this is, I have a porn addiction. How do I tell my husband? Um, so some of them are very nuanced questions as well. But And then always I get questions about masturbation. So why do you say it's a sin? Um, What do you do if you're dealing with it? What about if you're married? So those are common questions I get as well. Well, and you talk about that in the book, that there are certain things in the Bible that are not explicitly you know, mentioned there may be some some things, but we can have biblical principles about some of the the issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you talk about sex robots. Well, you're not going to find sex robots <laughs> in the Bible, but yeah. there are some biblical principles for that. Do you want to share just a couple of those with us? Sure. Yes. So you're right, Kelly. Robots are not going to be mentioned in the Bible. Sexting, even oral sex and masturbation, you you just don't see the Bible explicitly talk about them. Um, So what I do in the book, part two of the book, is really looking at six characteristics of God's design for sex. And if we know God's principles, if we know God's design, then it helps us know what isn't His design. It helps us to be able to identify what is sin. So I'll give you just a little teaser. But for example, I talk about how sex is relational. It's something that is done between people. (laughs) So that means bestiality. Mm. You know, anything sexual with an animal, it's out. Mm. Um, That's not relational with another human being. If it is with a robot, well, that's not relational either. (laughs) Even what you think about like sex dolls, um, that would be out. And, And even to answer the masturbation question, masturbation is something that you do with yourself. It is not something that you're doing with another person. And so it's not relational. But even to add to that, not only is it solo sex, it's also something that you're only doing with one gender. And God's design for sex is that it's also heterosexual as well as relational. And so masturbation is a personal homosexual act, which is why it's a sin. So that's two out of the six characteristics that I talk about in the book. Yeah, that's great. And we'll actually link in the show notes um, because you wrote an article recently for LifeWay Voices that kind of outlined some of those that was super helpful and kind of like a a preview to what people can see in the book and read more in depth on. um, And so we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, So you've mentioned in the past that you've written this book for two women, um, kind of, or two groups of women. First, the woman who is struggling with sexual sin, and then the woman walking alongside her. So let's talk about the, with the first woman in mind for a minute. What do you hope for her as she reads this book, the woman that is struggling with sexual sin? I would say some main things that I want her to walk away with. One is that she's not the only woman. She's not the only Christian woman Mm -hmm. who is struggling with whatever her genre of sin is. She's not the only one. And that's why even the book's title is It's Not Just You. Yeah. So you're not the only one. I also want her to walk away with just hope that no matter what her struggle is and no matter how long she has struggled with it, there is hope for her. This doesn't always have to be what you struggle with. Now, that is not saying it's um, it will be a lot of work to deal with your sin struggle. Um, it will take effort. It will not always be easy. It will not be fun. But there is hope 
um, because of the gospel, there is hope because the God who resurrected Jesus from the dead lives in you. And so you have the power of the creator God living in you and he has already defeated sin. So you are fighting from a position of victory if you are a Christ follower. I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's true for all of our sin. And so that's a beautiful, um, I mean, that's the gospel (laughs) and it's great to be reminded of that all the time. Absolutely. Well, I do think this is a great book for leaders. I I really feel like as a a women's ministry leader or just as a mom or someone in the church that has a mentoring relationship or deals with younger women, this is a great resource for them to give them some practical help. So let's talk about that, that audience of, you know, what do you hope for her as she reads the book and how do you, how do you help the hope that this will help her? Definitely. And and that was, I mean, like I said, I wrote this book that I wish I would have had. So some of the things that I wish as a leader, as a disciple maker, as a small group leader, that I wish somebody would have given me um, a couple of things. So one was, I wish somebody could have helped me know how to answer these questions of what is a sin? What isn't a sin? How do I yeah. think about masturbation? How do I think about sexting? Um and, and so I do provide part two of the book is really answering the why question and, and what's a sin? Why is it a sin? But I also, I wanted to give leaders as well as strugglers some practical handles of how to get started. So whatever my sin struggle is, how do I know what's behind that sin struggle? How do I deal with sin at the root? How do I even know what the root is or, or a contributing reason to the root? So I give them some tools just to get started. And I'm not saying these tools are the end-all be-all, but they can at least get you started on the journey. And then I also put some um, appendices in there on sex addiction and sex abuse. And the addiction one is because as I walked with the girls, I really started questioning, how do I know if this person's sexual sin has now become an addiction? Like what, what's the line? How do I know if something's an addiction? So I, I gave some questions that um, either the struggler can, can read and answer or you walking alongside someone. I've used them with girls as I'm meeting with them, just informally asking. So it can help them sort through whether or not their sin is an addiction. And then in the sexual abuse appendices, I really walk through how does trauma affect someone and try to provide an education piece for you because often, and and this is something I have seen locally and it's not fair. So I'm trying to be an advocate here for abuse survivors, but often we make the survivor be the one try to explain the effects of trauma to us. Mm -hmm. And they're already struggling enough and don't have the energy to try to explain PTSD to you. So I I try to provide some handles of ways that trauma affects us and what can you do if you are a friend, a family member, a small group leader, a ministry leader, what can you do to serve that person knowing that these are the ways their trauma is affecting them? That is so helpful and kind of unfortunately so because we do need it so much, especially Um, We've been talking a lot about after this year, I feel like, um, or a year and a half, we know that that's been very hard for people who have been abused or have trauma in their lives. No matter what the trauma is, um, it's just been exacerbated in the last 
year and a half mm-hmm. with COVID, with staying home. Um, and so that's going to be very helpful, I think, for everybody. Um, what are some of the things you mentioned that a common question you get, and I would love to just ask the same question, is how can we find safe people and how can we be safe people um, for others? Yes, that's a great question. So if we're thinking about how do we identify a safe person, I think an, one, one identifier is um, look at 1 Corinthians 13 and then look at the fruit of the Spirit and look to see, are these traits evident in this person's life? Now, you're not going to know every aspect of their life, but right. as you're observing them, are is is the person person patient and kind and respectful and gentle or are they harsh and condemning <laughs> so right. so what are the traits that i'm seeing and then i often will have girls send up what i call test balloons <laughs> so mm-hmm. they may not just jump to the to the um, hardest part of their story but they'll throw something out there to see how do I respond to their mental health and their depression struggles? Mm -hmm. Or how do I respond when they say they're having marriage issues? Do I listen well? Do I ask questions? Um, Or am I condemning them, shaming them, judging them? And so even the test balloons um, and how someone responds lets me know, can I talk to them? If I can talk to them about this, maybe I can talk to them about this harder thing or this deeper thing. So test balloons. And then as a person who is in ministry and wants to be a safe person, am I exemplifying the mind of Christ and the fruit of the Spirit? Am I growing in my own walk with the Lord? And then On a practical level, do I talk about these things? Do I initiate conversations about abuse and sexuality and mental health? Um, Because I found that if I go first in talking about these things, it signals that, okay, if she didn't even try to whisper when she said masturbation, then maybe she's at least okay talking about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or if she's not feeling awkward talking about oral sex, well, then maybe she's somebody that I could talk to about oral sex I'm having with my boyfriend. Um, or maybe if she's, you know, talking about how one side effect of trauma is that you might experience sexual dysfunction in marriage. And if you are, get help for that. There is help. You don't have to be stuck in that. Um, then maybe I can talk to her about my abuse or maybe I can talk to her about my marriage. So if I go first, And if I'm in the area that God has given me at our local church, if I'm talking about these things relationally, but also in workshops, in um, small group leader trainings, if I'm doing that, then it's automatically putting out there, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to talk about these things. Yeah, and and I was just going to say that that's one of the things that I also have training in biblical counseling, Ashley, so we have that in common. Great. Um, But I think that that's one thing that our my professors would always emphasize to us is, you know, we're all completely sinful and separated Mm -hmm. from God. Our sin looks different from each other's um, Mm -hmm. and it manifests itself differently. But one of the most powerful things I think was just a confession 
from like my professors or my uh, supervisors in counseling where they're like, look, I am no better off than the people that are sitting across from me in this counseling office. Um, I am only saved through grace. And, you know, that is a beautiful thing. And that's something that we don't take for granted. Mm -hmm. But I think even if sexual sin is not a part of your story, just can having a posture of confession of your sin and just saying, I messed up in this way, I think that's going to help you be a safe person. Even if you can't say, I know exactly what you're feeling or like, I have also struggled with that particular sin. You've struggled with sin. So you know what that's like. And I think that's a, another way on top of what you said. I think those things are great too. Um, and definitely part of that being a safe person. Absolutely. And really what you're getting at, Elizabeth, is just a posture of humility. Right. And and are we humble as we think about the fact we're all broken just in different ways? And mm-hmm. I don't want to be condemned for my areas of brokenness. Right. And who am I to condemn you for something that the Lord has died to save you from? Mm. Yeah. And I think that's the message that I really want our listeners to hear today right. is that you know, maybe there's a listener who has struggled in this particular area. And I just think we need to also remind them that there is hope, that there is forgiveness, and that that through Christ, um, there is healing, right? Yeah, yes, there is. But healing doesn't come instantaneously. So just know that (laughs) expectation wise, it's going to be a journey, but he's faithful. Yeah. And actually, that's a good point. Because I do think probably younger women that there's a there's a striving here when they're dealing with this sin of I messed up again or I messed mm-hmm. up again and so how do you how do you talk to that young woman yes and you're right we are going to feel like a broken record when it comes to our sin struggles broken records because it, it's a journey um, to identify okay I did this again and so let me let me reflect back. Let me rewind. What was going on leading up to acting out? Mm. And one of the tools that I give in the book, I give a scale of one to five. And on that scale, um, I I use it as an accountability tool. It's just a shorthand, but it's also a, a practice piece of, okay, if I'm a one or two, this means that I am putting on the things of the Spirit. This means that I and, and I'm not just trying to be spiritual here. It could be that I am doing things that are life-giving, that are healthy and productive. Maybe even that's as simple as I'm getting seven to eight hours of sleep a night <laughs> because that definitely helps us when we're fighting sin to have oh, good sure. sleep habits. <laughs> and so if I'm exercising, if I'm making time for communities, rhythms of spiritual disciplines, so those things, that's a one and two If I am, if that is my rhythm of daily life. A five would be if I am in sin, I am acting out. And then a three or four is, okay, if doing this leads me on this path of a five, then then I'm a three or a four, depending on how severe that is. So for example, I had one young woman who she, anytime she got on her Kindle, she would end up at some point reading erotica and masturbating. Mm -hmm. So for her, for a season, 
being a three or a four meant she was just reading her Kindle. It it didn't even matter what she was reading. She just knew if I start reading my Kindle, Mm -hmm. it's going to lead here. I don't have self-control once I start reading my Kindle. So it became something that she was like, okay, if I'm recognizing that I'm a three or four, as soon as I turn on my Kindle, then that's something I need to put off. Maybe I need to give my Kindle to a friend for a season to hold on because I just can't trust myself with it. So it's learning self-control, but it's backing up of, okay, do I act out on a certain day of the week even? Um, Do I act out? What are the patterns? Does it follow my cycle? Is that something I need to be aware of? So there's all these different things about troubleshooting that it it takes time. Um, So even journaling, when you act out and let's think back on what was going on, um, what have you been dealing with that week? Is it always on a Friday night when you're alone and you're scrolling Instagram and seeing everybody else on a date, looking happy, having people to hang out with, um, looking like they're living their best life? So what's going on? And um, so, yeah, so it's a process. Hmm. Yeah. I also wanted to, we have down in our notes um, that we definitely want to talk about something else that I feel like a lot of leaders these days, and I'm, I'm sure this has always happened, but um, I feel like we hear about it more and more, where a concept of compassion fatigue, and mm-hmm. I think that is definitely something that happens when we talk about sexual sin, when we talk about um, abuse situations, mm-hmm. when we talk about trauma, um, just if leaders are hearing story after story of of this, these topics, how can we avoid getting compassion fatigue? How can we continue to be Christ-like and full of compassion to, you know, the 36th woman who comes to confess to us or who tells us a story where she has been victimized or um, whatever it may be? How can we keep from, from letting ourselves like slip into anger or apathy or just, um, like being exhausted of hearing it or just even judgmental yeah judgmental too for sure absolutely and you're right it's it's a reality and even with covid i would say bandwidths are shorter (laughs) than they were pre pre pre-pandemic um so a couple of things if we're thinking about compassion fatigue and i say this as somebody who hasn't always done it right and is still learning and growing so i even talk about it in the book i got shingles Um, from one season when I didn't do this well, and that was even a wake-up call for me. So Mm -hmm. I had to figure out some things even to realize, how can I avoid not getting shingles again? Right. Um, (laughs) So a couple of things. First of all is recognizing what you can and can't control. So as these girls are sharing their stories, as these women are sharing their stories with me, I can't control the decisions that they make. I can't control or micromanage their lives. I can't make them do anything. And I have to trust the spirit to work in them. I can offer suggestions and counsel, but I can't control what they do. So recognizing one, what I can and can't control. On a very practical level, I need to check my own sleep hygiene. So am I getting enough rest? Am I... um, carving out time to sleep? Am I exercising regularly? Am I getting plenty of sunshine? Am I eating well? 
And am I making time to remember what is even good and, and, and reflecting on the good and, and cultivating gratitude and joy? Mm-hmm. One of the best ways to build resiliency is to cultivate joy. And a way to cultivate joy is to cultivate gratitude. Mm-hmm. So if all I'm ever doing is hearing the bad, hearing the negative, am I spending time thinking about how wonderful the Lord is? Am I spending time reminding myself of how what He's done and how He has responded to situations in the present and the past? Am I just taking time to be grateful for the things that He has given and put in my life? So cultivating gratitude, spiritual disciplines, practicing those, and then also boundaries. So for example, do not disturb. I have do not disturb on my phone from, I think right now it might be set from 10 to 7. Um, but I tell people, if you call, I won't be answering. Yeah, <laughs> and, and even some of having boundaries as well as I don't need to be the only person who knows this about you. Mm-hmm. you. So even part of walking alongside someone is, all right, let's identify two to four or five people that, that you can tell and that know your story, that know what's going on, so that if if I'm not available, and I won't always be available, you have other people you can talk to. You have other go-to people that can be there. And so even things like that, where I'm just even setting it up to where I'm not the only one that is walking alongside you. So anything y'all would add to that, that, that was top of my mind right now, but please no, add to that's that. that's good. I think that's a great list. And yeah. I, I love that you talked about, you know, just kind of taking care of yourself. I, I mm-hmm. feel like sometimes we get into uh, where we think of that negatively, like self-care and it's right. indulgent and that kind of thing. But I mean, it's a like God gave us bodies that need mm-hmm. yep. sleep and water and sunshine and exercise. And I think um, we have sometimes lost that we've gone too far in the other direction um, <laughs> of saying, no, we can just do it. We can just do it. Like this is ministry. This is what we have to do. Um, and I saw somebody talk about how their mom always said, if you're feeling angry, you need to drink a glass of water and take a short nap and probably your problem will be solved. <laughs> and I was like, I love that. <laughs> Cause she's like, you're probably dehydrated or uh, exhausted. And so just those two things. And so I think that's important to remember for sure. Um, and I loved what you said about uh, joy coming from gratitude. Cause yeah. I think that's something that we forget. And Absolutely. so, yeah. yeah. Okay. So Ashley, you've listened to the Mark podcast a lot of times, so you know the question yes. at the end, but <laughs> yes. we always love to ask this question. What is one thing that has marked you in your walk with Christ? All right. So I, I did know this question was coming. <laughs> uh, so a part of my story is that I am the child of a college minister. So my mom has been doing Baptist collegiate ministries almost 40 years. Wow. <laughs> so she's, she's been in the college ministry game for a long time. And that marked my life and it marked ministry for me um, from an early age because I saw what it looks like to do relational ministry. I saw what it looks like to serve and saw what hospitality looks like using your home to love people, whether that is international students, whether that is a student with a crisis, or whether that is students who are just homesick. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. 
so watching that and, you know, I went to seminary and I learned the Greek and the Hebrew and the strategies and the big words, but really those things just gave a greater vocabulary and a greater strategy and structure to the things that I saw modeled in the college ministry that my mom has done my entire life. So that was that's one thing that's marked our entire family and definitely shaped how I do ministry and shaped even my understanding of what disciple making looks like. That's awesome. Yeah, I think college ministry leaders like I know so many that are in it for the long haul. Like yeah. I know so yes. many that have done it for so long yeah. and you just see that calling in their life and believe me they are not the highest paid ministry leaders <laughs> no. out there but they are just they love who God has placed in their lives and actually this book would be a great gift to give a collegiate minister so if you're a listener and you know someone in college ministry buy this book for them I would highly encourage that yes and we'll have links in the show notes yeah. to the book um, to the you lead events yeah. that Ashley is a part of and um, and you're going to be at women's forum this year too yeah I am. I'm so excited. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So you can find all the all the the ways to be in touch with Ashley and and see her speak on this and read her book for sure because that's definitely something like Kelly said that you'll want to give as gifts or um, read for yourself as you lead women. Absolutely, Ashley. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank y'all for having me. It's so good just to catch up with you guys. It is. It is. Well, listeners, thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope you'll join us next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag marked podcast to connect with us you can also find lifeway women on all social media channels at lifeway women all of today's show notes will be posted at lifewaywomen.com slash podcast if you love the show leave an itunes review it's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast we'll see you next time Home should be a place where we feel at peace, where we can be ourselves, where we feel loved. For a lot of us, though, home is a place of heartache, hurt, and loneliness. As believers, Christ promises us an eternal home. But what does that actually look like? And how do we deal with our current homesickness? I recently wrote a Bible study called Come Home for Women, and I'm so excited that Come Home will also be available for teen girls. It's perfect for small groups, helps girls answer important questions, and gives us a richer understanding of what kind of home God's building for us. The release date for Come Home for teen girls is August 1st, but you can pre-order it now at lifeway.com slash come home. Don't miss out on this opportunity to help girls belong and be loved. Again, you can pre-order it today at lifeway.com slash come home.